The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sword and Scale contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. You're not in that much shock. You don't know the difference between a lie and the truth. And I believe you know the difference between a lie and the truth. And you need that you're making up a whole story that you know to be untrue. Well, well, well. Hiya. This is Season 6, Episode 151 of Sword and Scale, a show that has always revealed that the worst monsters are real. Here we go. By now, you must have heard about this new podcast we're launching because today is launch day. It's something I've heard all of you ask for since the very first day anyone first sent us any feedback whatsoever. The suggestion was, can you put out episodes every single day? And so now we're doing just that. Sword and Scale Daily launches today. So please search your favorite podcast player for the feed, preferably Apple Podcasts, and hit the subscribe button. Now, Daily is not a copy of Sword and Scale. That would be madness. What we're doing instead is bringing you all the day's true crime news from around the country and around the globe, five days a week. It's fresh. It's nicely presented for your morning cup of coffee, and it's hosted by my friend and longtime Sword and Scale producer, Ryan Williams. We've been ironing out the kinks here for about a month, so if you subscribe right now, you'll get instant access to an entire month long of shows, so you can catch up on all the insane, horrible crimes human beings have been committing against each other lately. We hope you do subscribe and leave us a good review. It means a lot. And note that if you've heard the last couple of episodes on this feed, you'll need to subscribe to the Sword and Scale Daily feed in order to keep listening. Please do so right now. Okay, that's it. You're in for a treat right now. 
This next story is about a woman named Sheila Davalu, and it is going to take you on an absolute roller coaster. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We begin this episode with a poem called Heart. Heart, you bully, you punk. I'm wrecked, I'm shocked stiff. You still try to rule the world, though I've got you. Identified, starving, locked in a cage. You will not leave alive. No matter how you hate it, pound its walls and thrill its corridors with messages. Brute, spy, I trusted you. Now you reel and brawl in your cell, but I'm deaf to your rages. You're greed to go sold. You're eloquent. Threats of worse things you could do, knowing me. You scared me, bragging you're a double agent, since jailers are prisoners' prisoners, too. Think. Reform. Make us one. Join the rest of us, and joy may come one day for both of us. Heart is a poem penned by Sheila Davalu. The subject of this week's episode, and very poignant considering what you're about to hear. Sheila Davalu and her husband, Paul Christos, were having marital problems. They weren't spending much time together lately. So in the spring of 2003, Sheila came up with a plan to help narrow the divide growing between them. She heard about a game they could play, a sort of trust exercise with a sexy twist. She explained it to Paul over dinner. So she says to Paul one night while while they're eating dinner, she says, look, we've been drifting apart emotionally. Let's try to reconnect. I've heard about this game where I blindfold you, you blindfold me. I tie you to a chair, I put a blindfold on you, and then I rub objects from the house on your skin and you try to guess what they are. And Paul's eating his dinner thinking, huh, I haven't had sex with this woman in I don't know how long, so maybe this will lead from there to the bedroom. People call it a sex game, and it wasn't a sex game. It was just some weird thing that he decided I'll participate in because, you know, I'd like to hook up with my wife. I'd like to connect with her. So they begin this game. This is the voice of prolific true crime author M. William Phelps. He's a New York Times bestseller executive producer and host of Investigation Discovery's Dark Minds, consultant and associate producer for Killer Women with Pierce Morgan, 
and the author of dozens of true crime books, including one on Sheila Davalu, titled Obsession. We consulted him to fill in the gaps in the two-part story you're about to hear. He was deeply immersed in the case, and through his research, he came to know and understand the personalities of everyone involved. Now back to the story. Paul Christos once wanted to be an FBI agent, and as such, built a small collection of FBI gear, including handcuffs. In the smaller of the two bedrooms, Sheila was cuffed and blindfolded first, and Paul grabbed random objects from around the house to rub against her. While the act was likely titillating, Sheila found herself becoming frustrated that she wasn't guessing many of the items correctly. To understand her frustration, you have to understand Sheila first. Sheila Davalu was a married woman living in Pleasantville, New York, commuting to work at Purdue Pharma in Stamford, Connecticut. She was 33 years old, of Iranian descent, having immigrated to the States in the mid-1970s when she was still a young child. Like all of the other 30-somethings working at Purdue Pharma, she was considered very successful. She had a degree in biochemistry and worked as a research scientist for the company. Her income was not measly by any stretch of the imagination. She made great money. In college, she met her husband Paul and started to date. Soon, she was in love and got engaged. But what Paul didn't know was that Sheila was already married. Sheila grew up, you know, in a very strict family, she says. It's one of the reasons she gives for her first marriage, because the guy she first marries is Iranian and he's much older and she claims it was an arranged marriage and that's what her family wanted. I mean, her, her parents are very intellectual, very smart, well-educated, you know, but they live by their culture. Um, that's who they are. And Sheila had a good life. By all accounts, she had a kind, strict family who wanted her to achieve great things in life because they knew, look, they knew she was smart, you know, and they wanted her to do great things. Because Sheila claimed that this was an arranged marriage, she promised that she would divorce this man so she and Paul could get married. And she did. Initially, though, she kept her dark secret from Paul for an inexcusable amount of time. Sheila is living in Westchester County, New York at the time. So she's not even living in Connecticut. Her husband, Paul Christos, is studying for his doctorate, so he's very busy. Sheila was very busy, too. Very focused on her career climbing the ladder within Purdue. It may seem like the commute from New York to Purdue Pharma in Stamford, Connecticut would be a long one. But that's not the case. Well, Westchester County, New York, is very close to Stamford, Connecticut. So if you look at it as a triangle, you have New York City as the bottom of the triangle, if you will. And then the right arm of the triangle is, say, Stanford, and then the left arm of that would be Westchester County, New York. And it's, it's all within an hour, barring traffic, but everything is within an hour. And when you're making six figures, you know, driving an hour is nothing. So Westchester County, her condominium there with Paul Christos was not a far drive at all for her. So Sheila was focused on her career, and Paul was working on his doctorate, and spent a lot of time studying. 
The two, though very much in love at first, started to slowly grow apart. Their schedules just weren't matching up, and it seemed like they never saw each other. Paul Christos is kind of deeply involved in getting his doctorate, and he is immersed in his research and what he needs to do. But also at home, he's having issues with his wife, Sheila Davalu. They're just not connected. They're not communicating. There's an emotional disconnect between the two of them. They kind of, you know, use the cliche, two ships passing in the night sort of thing. And on weekends, Sheila likes to kick Paul out of the house and send him to a, a, a nearby hotel so he could study because, according to Sheila, she has a mentally challenged brother, if you will, who doesn't know that Sheila is married and would be very jealous, according to Sheila. So in order to bring the brother over to her house, she has to get rid of Paul. And in doing that, she has Paul help her scrub the house of their life together, meaning pictures, anything having to do with the mail, because as she tells Paul, you know, if my brother finds out that I have a husband, he's going to be very upset. And, you know, I, my brother's mental health is, is kind of number one. Does this seem a little bit suspicious to you? Even though Paul and Sheila had been married for some time, Sheila had not yet told her family, specifically her mentally ill brother. She kept stringing Paul along, assuring him that when the time was right, she would tell her brother about their marriage. In the meantime, because he wasn't yet ready to hear the news, Sheila's brother needed to be kept in the dark. This meant that every weekend, Paul left to stay in a hotel. He had to take every sock, every personal toiletry, any single thing that could make someone think there was another person living in the apartment with Sheila. Paul welcomed the opportunity to focus on his schoolwork. He and Sheila had been having some sort of intimate disconnect, and he was always busy with his studies. So weekend after weekend, he pounded out his dissertation, probably thankful for the time to focus. And then Paul takes a turn. After removing the handcuffs from Sheila, Paul was blindfolded and laid flat on his back with a pillow under his head. Sheila straddled him and carefully handcuffed him to the rung of the chair. His hands were stretched above his head, unusable. And she starts rubbing things on his face, on his skin, etc., on his arms, and he guesses a couple of things. Here Paul is strapped to a chair and his beautiful wife straddling him while sensually touching him in a sexy guessing game. What could go wrong? This game seemed to be a last-ditch effort to mend their marriage, perhaps reignite their passion for one another. After all, they had begun sleeping in separate rooms, fighting over every little thing, and seemed to be annoyed by each other's existence. That may sound familiar to some of you. A lot of us have been there. All they could really talk about anymore was Sheila's co-workers who were conducting a telenovela-esque love triangle at work. Meanwhile, when they do eat together and they do do things together, Sheila is telling Paul about this uh, narrative at work. And it's a love triangle that she describes. She describes a guy who is dating or kind of engaged to a woman at work. These co-workers' names, according to Sheila, were Anna and Jack. 
Anna was engaged to Jack, but Jack was messing around on her with one of Sheila's friends, Melissa. I know it's difficult to keep these names straight with so much cheating going around, so let me repeat that. One of Sheila's co-workers, according to Sheila, was named Anna, who was engaged to Jack, but Jack was cheating on Anna with Melissa. Got it? Okay, good. But he's also sleeping with this other woman at work, and Sheila wants to know what would be the advice Paul would give her to tell her friends at work that this is happening to Over time, Sheila began to bring up this love triangle between friends at work quite often to Paul. She became obsessed with it, constantly asking him for advice on the latest drama between Melissa, Jack, and Anna. Sheila even went as far as to help Melissa stalk Anna with the use of Paul's night vision goggles from his FBI collection and ordering listening devices so she could spy on them at work. She even ordered a lockpick set and practiced on the back patio door, telling Paul she wanted to break into Anna's apartment. Sometimes sex-starved ladies can get a little obsessive. Anyway, Paul told her it was a really bad idea, of course, and she would likely get into a lot of trouble. He was a bit annoyed by her obsession at times, but because it seemed to be the only topic that sparked conversation between him and his wife, he continued to engage in gossip with Sheila. During this same time, Sheila was seeing a therapist as well. As many of us know, therapy does nothing for a person unless the patient tells the therapist the whole truth. Sheila was telling this therapist week after week about Melissa, Jack, and Anna, probably driving the therapist insane with her obsession. Needless to say, Paul was excited that Sheila was paying him any attention at all. He probably would have played Duck, Duck, Goose if she had recommended it. And then all of a sudden, Sheila says, I'll be right back. You know, I'm, I'm going to get a new item. And she comes back and, and Paul feels that she's near him. And then he feels this tremendous thud in his chest. And he has no idea what happened. After a few seconds, Paul felt another thud, like a heavy object was dropped onto his chest. He starts to feel weird. And then he starts to feel blood coming from his chest. And the way he described it was, you know, I, I had no idea what happened. I was blindfolded. You know, it just felt like a, a heavy weight. So he asked Sheila and Sheila says, geez, you know, I, I was rubbing a candle on you and I, I kind of slipped or whatever. And the candle went into you and there must have been a wire at the bottom of the candle, you know, that the wick is attached to that cut you. And so he says, get the blindfold off, unhook me from this chair. And he's starting to feel dizzy now. And he looks down and there's just blood all over his shirt. He's bleeding kind of heavily. And he's wondering, you know, what the fuck happened to me? I mean, a a wire did this. So he says, Sheila, listen, call 911. Get an ambulance over here. I'm kind of nodding out. I'm dizzy. Paul began to sweat through his clothes. The sweat mixed with a large amount of blood that had begun to accumulate and seep through his unbuttoned shirt. But Sheila couldn't take the handcuffs off of him because she couldn't find the keys. She meandered around in a situation that, for Paul, seemed urgent. The seconds dragged on. Time seemed to move unbearably slow. Put yourself in this situation for a moment, assuming that this all really was a freak accident. You're at home playing a game with your partner and you accidentally hurt them 
badly, what would you do? Most of us would immediately call 911 and go into autopilot, trying to stop the bleeding by following the instructions dispatch gives us. Remember last time you were in a situation where someone accidentally cut themselves and started bleeding? Your first thought is to immediately assist, to stop the bleeding, to get help. One can only imagine where Paul Christo's mind went at this point. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra, workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Finally. Paul suggested that Sheila break the chair so that he could at least be detached from it, though still handcuffed. So she did. Paul continued bleeding profusely, and he was realizing just how much pain he was in. His whole torso was throbbing, the pain branching out from his chest, and their dogs were now in the room, circling around Paul and the blood in a state of panic. He begged Sheila to just call 911. So she did. She says, sure, sure, sure. So she grabs her cell phone and she dials 911, according to her, and says, I need an ambulance here, pronto. Hangs up. 15 minutes go by, no ambulance. Paul says, call again. What the hell's going on? Paul saw Sheila dial 911 again and heard her speak to the operator. She asked them what was taking so long. Paul asked Sheila to hand him the phone, but she declined and explained that dispatch suggested that he remain flat on the ground. They didn't want to speak to him. She said the ambulance would be around in another half hour, so she hung up. Those of us who've ever called 911 in a medical emergency, or have listened to a true crime podcast like this one, know that nearly 100% of the time, 911 dispatchers will keep the caller on the phone until police or the medical team arrive. And time is going on now. Half hour goes by, no ambulance. So Paul is, is kind of crawls to the couch and he's bleeding all over himself, all over everything. And 
he says, listen, Sheila, you're going to have to take me to the hospital because they're not coming. And she says, okay. So she kind of gets him into the car, into the back seat. She hauls ass off to the emergency room, which is really close by. It's important to understand that the emergency room they chose to drive to was Westchester County Medical Center. Both Paul and Sheila were very familiar with the buildings. Sheila's mother had been a nurse there for almost two decades. Her brother was held in the psych unit for a period of time. And on top of that, both she and Paul attended graduate school there. One could assume that they knew the buildings just as well as the doctors who worked there every day. Paul and Sheila should have arrived at the emergency room in under 10 minutes. But as Sheila drove closer to the medical center, you'd never know that she went to school there. She was acting lost and pulled into the wrong parking lot. Even if a person isn't familiar with the local medical facility, hospitals tend to make it pretty clear where the ER drop-off is located. There are often signs, arrows, and clearly marked entrances and Westchester County Medical Center was no different. So she pulls into the parking lot, she pulls by the emergency room and pulls in back of the hospital parking lot. She gets out of the car, she walks over to the passenger door, opens the passenger door, and Paul looks at her and he's, again, he's nodding in and out, he's losing consciousness, and he looks at her and he sees she's got a knife in her hand and she's going to stab him and he realizes, fuck, that wasn't a candle, she tried to fucking kill me. She stabbed me in the chest and she's trying to now do it again, but he kind of blocks her. He fights her off. And as he's doing that, two orderlies are outside the emergency room and they hear a commotion going on. And so Sheila kind of just drags him out of the car or he gets out of the car and she takes off. They bring Paul into the hospital and he's dying. One of Sheila's stabs had sliced an artery going into Paul's heart an injury that was absolutely fatal if left unattended for too long. An injury Sheila tried to leave unattended for as long as possible in the hopes that her husband might die. He is literally near death. And he goes through surgery, comes out of it. And really one of the heroes, I like to say, of this whole case shows up at the hospital to interview him. A detective from Westchester County, Allison Carpentier. And she starts questioning Paul about what happened. He says, my fucking wife tried to kill me. She stabbed me. We're playing this game. She stabs me, et cetera. She stabs me, tries to stab me in the parking lot. So, okay. So Allison Carpentier goes over now to interview the wife, finds her, and starts interviewing her. And the interview is, you know, is on tape. And it's, it's crazy to uh, watch this interview. It really is. Right off the bat, Sheila was telling investigators lies about what happened that Sunday. She claimed that Paul arrived home and was already injured, and he asked her to look at the wounds. And then he drove the back. Yeah. And he comes in the door, and we'll be there when he came in. I didn't notice him at first. I was playing with the dog. I don't know what I was doing. Okay. And then he came, and he said he's hurt, and he laid on, he laid on the floor, and he's like, can you look at it and see if it's bleeding? And I, I get nauseous when I look at blood. I couldn't look at it. So I, I said, but before he, he wanted me to look at it to make sure it's okay. And I looked at it, and I said, it's not bleeding. You know. And so you I, looked at his shirt, you pulled his shirt up, you said you didn't see anything? I, did, I didn't see anything. I said, I said it's not, I looked, I looked at it a little bit down here. And did it you just, look, I mean, it's your husband. Did you lift off his shirt? Yeah, sure. Okay, so you saw his chest. Yeah. Okay, and you didn't see anything on his chest. No, I saw it 
Sheila thought she was the only one giving information to the cops, the only one who could offer any side of the story. But the one thing Allison Carpentier does during this interview is very smart. She gives the impression without saying it that Paul didn't make it, that he's dead. And so Sheila believes she can tell any story she wants. And she starts to tell the story and it's all bullshit. Just like everything out of Sheila Dablu's mouth is bullshit. This is more pathological lying. Paul was conscious and told investigators exactly what happened. Sheila had stabbed him in their home and attempted to finish him off in the hospital parking lot. The interrogating officer knew that the story coming out of Sheila's mouth was a lie, and it gave them all a really good idea of just how practiced an actress she was. The flaw among the many in Sheila's plan was that even if Paul had actually died, there were witnesses in the parking lot of the hospital. Witnesses that could attest to Paul's screams at Sheila to get away from him. So you get to the hospital. Why at one point you left me and you brought me back? I left because I wanted to find the emergency room. I can sit here, I'll go find the emergency room and take his way around the corner. Mm-hmm. And then that way I can get an ambulance from here. Why at that point did you use your phone to call my I couldn't find my phone. I fell and I was running around trying to look at the buildings and the signs. Now there was people outside. Did you tell any of them before you left? I didn't see anybody. There was two men there. Two men there. The whole time. Did you ask anybody? Did you scream call 911 to anybody at all? After I saw them, I said, call the ambulance. Because the guy was spending time on the phone and I said, call the ambulance. That was after you left. You never found the emergency room when you left. No, I did find the emergency room. It was around the corner. So I came running back to him to take him there or to see if an ambulance could come there. Did you talk to anybody in the emergency room? No, I just saw the sign for the emergency room. I was close to the emergency room. No, I know you were close to the emergency room. Did you, the people outside, did you ask the security guard there? I need you to get me an ambulance. I wanted to come back when it was going to happen. He said, don't leave me, don't leave me alone. And I, I asked him that. I could just two seconds so I could find the emergency room because I'm going to go around the circle. All lies. Paul did not ask Sheila to stay by his side, and Sheila did not speak with the witnesses and request that they call an ambulance or 911. The tale she wove for Alison Carpentier was almost the exact opposite of what actually happened. Sheila, I have to be honest with you, I find it odd. It's odd. I mean, you're an educated person. I'm the not whole thing is odd. odd. The whole thing is very odd. I find it odd. My husband comes home, he's having trouble bleeding. I don't dial, yeah, breathing. I don't dial 911. 
I don't ask a neighbor for help. I take there your, was no neighbor. The fact there. that you're a medical person and he's a medical person, I find it odd. Well, you passed the neighbor when you came out. You passed the caregiver, also trained, and I would imagine some kind of She medical. doesn't speak English. Well, she, I think she would see a blood on the shirt. She would know to call nine one one. But I was panicked. So you're going to need to be honest with me while I'm third girl. Okay, and I, you know what? I don't believe you're being honest with me. I am being honest. I don't believe you are. There's things that you're not telling me. Less than half an hour into the police interview video, anyone who views the footage can see that Sheila is visibly stressed. Dressed in sweats, she rubbed her temples and held her forehead in her hands. The interview is not unlike a serious conversation with a mischievous child or a cheating partner. Sometimes when you know the truth about what happened, it can be interesting to question the culpable person as if you don't yet have any of the information, just to see what kind of lies they'll make up. Throughout this interrogation, Detective Allison Carpentier slowly began to reveal bits and pieces of what she already knew to be true. And you know what I find here? I find an educated person being very dishonest. That's what I find. You're not. I'm in shock. You're not in that much shock. You don't know the difference between a lie and the truth. And I believe, you know, the difference between a lie and a truth. And you just sat here making up a whole story that you know to be untrue. And I'm going to tell you, let me explain Why something. Why would I bring him to the hospital? Yeah, let me explain something. Unless you decide to sit here and be honest with me, I can guarantee you'll see those puppies when they're very old. Okay? That's being honest with you. Because you know what? You listen to me. Listen to me. I have a family that I need to get home to. And if you want to sit here and play games, I didn't come to work to play games. Listen to me. Let me tell you what I'm saying. You're playing games. I didn't come here to work to play games with you. So unless you want to sit here and be honest, we can work through this and explain out some way that obviously something went wrong in your house. And the fact that you did bring them to the emergency room, yeah, we need to explain that out, that something went wrong in your apartment. Obviously, let me explain something Something went wrong tonight, okay? Well, something went wrong tonight. You're not giving me any... You're obviously holding that company. If you didn't do it, you know who did, you know what happened. You said not once, but twice. Allison began to reveal even more about what she knew. She mentioned to Sheila that investigators had a knife they planned to check for fingerprints. She revealed that she knew about the game she and Paul were playing. She was slowly letting Sheila realize that she had to stop telling lies. One in particular was, you know, we were playing a game and, I don't know, he fell and... Uh, so- I don't know, uh, he could have fell on a knife or, you know, just all kinds of weird explanations for what happened to him. I have no idea what happened to him. I mean, next thing I know, he's bleeding and I just rushed him to the emergency room and and dropped him off. And why did you leave? Well, uh, they told me that he was going to be in surgery. I wanted to go home and get clothes and not, you know, all this bullshit. It's all bullshit. How about the wine bowl? You know wine bowl? But you came back from you came back from New York City, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, then you decided to play a game. No, no, we're playing the game. Tomorrow. I mean, tell me about the game because I already know about the game. Tell me about the game because I already know about the game. Now, now Paul's wounded, bleeding, can't breathe, and he instead of taking something, he takes a sock no, to bring to the medicine. home. Sheila, do you think I'm making this all up and I didn't talk before? No, I'm sure you did. Yeah, but I don't so know why why would he say Paul's, like Paul's in, on, in a hospital bed going up for surgery, okay? And he gives me this whole story. You think he just made it up real quick? And I think if anybody's under yeah. stress, listen to 
Is anybody under stress? And not thinking clearly? I think it would be cool. So, you, you know what? Because obviously he's telling me truthfully. You know why? Because everything that he's telling me is coming together, and I'm finding evidence to show that he's being honest with me. You know, I mean, Sheila, I can't help you. I can't say that you were goofing around and things got out of hand, and then you realized Paul was hurt and you took him to the hospital and you didn't mean to hurt him because you're not telling me that you were even present there. I can't have you write a deposition saying we were playing a game and we were goofing around and things got crazy and all of a sudden I realized Paul was bleeding and so I took him to the hospital. I, I can't say that because you're not telling me that's what happened. I'd like to believe you're a loving wife that, you know, you, you and your husband were just goofing around. And then when you realize you're goofing around led to him getting hurt, Oh my gosh, let me go help my husband. You drive to the hospital, you're nervous, you're going the wrong way, and then you look for help. I can explain that out. I can understand how that could possibly happen, but I don't understand how you, you come up with a whole story that came out from your husband. Well, I would just ask you to be honest, because I think your husband loves you very much too, and he's nervous that you're both in this situation. Well, tell me, I want to hear what happened. Did I break that? You told me he don't I Sheila, I don't want I don't want you to be embarrassed. I am embarrassed and I don't want to talk about this. Let me let me explain something to you. If I had to have somebody look under my eyes in my crystal, like you think I'm looking at yours, you'd probably think I was wacky if you spent the day in my house. No, but listen to me. Anybody spending a day I don't know why we're such like normal people. Sheila, calm yourself down and listen to me. If I had somebody spend a day in my house looking in from the outside, I think I'm normal, right? You might come into my house and say, oh, God, look how they run this house. You know, you know how people, you and Paul, might, you might do goofy things. They don't. Right, no, but I'm saying, so you're, playing right, you're playing a game that you know is just a goofball, but you're embarrassed to say what was going on because you think I'm going to judge you. I'm not here to judge you. I don't want to even talk about it. And whatever Paul says, just, I will just, no, I'm whatever gonna, he says. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that at all. Sheila was putting on the mask of a repressed, innocent woman who was embarrassed by this game, afraid it would come off to the public as sexual deviancy. Sheila, however, was anything but sexually repressed. You know, that, that interview is very telling, you know, because Sheila thinks Paul's dead at one point, so she's just blabbering on about all kinds of bullshit. And Allison is just sitting there back saying, you know, this bitch is lying to me. Just lying, 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 lying. You know, so it, it becomes very important that interview later on. The interrogation stretched on and small morsels of truth began to emerge. Sheila now claimed that she accidentally stabbed Paul and he was writhing around on the floor so much that he plunged the knife into his own body accidentally. And that's what caused the third stab wound. The first one is next. And it tells me he feels a thrust of your whole body and the knife going. He doesn't know at that point it's a knife, but he knows he feels a lot of pressure. So he lies when he says that? No, I mean, I don't know what he felt. The, the second time, he didn't even, he didn't even say... When the second time the knife went in, I was in shock, and I, I think I dropped the knife. I was holding it down so it wouldn't hurt him anymore, but he was squirming so much. He was in, in pain, I guess, but he wasn't screaming or anything. He just said, I can't breathe, and then he went into, into the knife for the third time. No, I you know what? I'm not asking you to make me destroy, but what you're, telling me, what you're telling me isn't physically possible to be able to do this. If he wasn't handcuffed, 
I, or he was just handcuffed with his hands behind his back and there was no chair involved, then it's possible for him to get up and maybe. But if he got up, his hands would come forward before his chest would come forward. I'm asking you now, you can see, my chest can't come forward before my hands come forward. The second time you told me you're sitting on top of him, you're holding the knife, you got nervous, and he jolted up. I don't even know if it's hit I don't know if it's in the center of the side. I mean, there's a couple of in the center of the side, one higher up. Alison Carpentier continued to reiterate the quote, The wounds are not consistent with your story. None of what Sheila said made any sense. Paul claimed he saw Sheila call 911, but there was no record of her call. She delayed driving him to the hospital and ultimately drove to the wrong location despite her knowledge of the grounds. Above all else, at the time of the third stabbing in the parking lot of the hospital, when Sheila pulled over and opened the door and came at him wielding the blade again, Paul realized that this was all intentional. He realized that his wife was trying to kill him, and his honest and reliable recollection of the events of the night was hard to look past. What he's saying is, you went opposite of the entrance. Yeah, we probably did for her. When you drove here. past the entrance, why would you be park the car or whatever and then get out of the car and walk further away from the area? I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, all of this looks bad, but I can't explain any of it because I would... How did the knife find the bullet? Paul had the knife. He told the security guard the knife was back there. Because he, he took it from me, he told me. No, he took it out of your hand. No. I didn't have the knife. He told me he didn't realize until that point that you were really going to try to hurt you. He said, that's when he realized that this was no longer a game. He didn't really have to hurt him. I wasn't out to hurt him. If I was out to hurt him, I, I'd put up for him. I was not. Well, you did. You almost killed him. But I wasn't out to do that. I mean, I didn't even know that those wounds were deep. I thought they were super big. By the amount of blood, you had to know it was bad. And that by your labor breathing, you had to, you had to know it was bad. I was, yes, I was very frantic about the wounds. I had never seen blood before. I was very but I, I did not react appropriately. I don't, half the stuff I did, I, I, yes, I wouldn't do it again. I mean, but if I wanted to hurt him, I would have hurt him in the apartment. I wouldn't have come outside. I wouldn't have come brought him to the hospital. You know, I mean, it's like you saying, well, didn't you know there were security guards there? If I wanted to hurt him, why would I take him to I mean, you know what, if it, was, if it was an area where it's hard to see which building you should go to, there's no other building. You walked in, in, in an area. You know what, I, I, I appreciate, I mean, you're, I know you're trying to help, and I appreciate that. But, I mean, it's, this, this is not, you know, everything's against me. And well, I, I, I appreciate you explain it. That's why I mean it. Every time I try to explain it, there's something new that you guys... Because you know why? Well, people let me find out. I can't. I believe what you're doing, you, and, and it's only my experience, is you give me what you think I want to hear instead of just sitting down with me, like two people, four people, whatever you mean in this room. I'm not you know, you, want you know what, but when I give you a little, you give me the answer to that little. Like, when I tell you there's no way his body could have came up, oh yeah, the chair did hit me. You know what I'm saying? So clearly. And and remembering being stabbed at the, at the hospital. So much where he's in his right mind to say, he grabs the knife from your hand, and he's in his right mind to say, I put it somewhere where I can tell you where it was. 
And he relays that information as soon as he's with a third party. As soon as he's with somebody from the outside to say, my wife tried to stab me and I, the knife's hidden over there. So he's in a state of mind that's fairly clear enough to be able to account that accurately, not once, not twice, but like five times he's been asked the situation and has to recover the knife exactly where he says it would be. During her trial for this crime, Sheila stuck to another story. In her testimony, she recounts this. Well, we were playing a game, and, you know, a lot of objects were being retrieved. And the knife was, this is a knife that's always sitting there in our kitchen counter by the fruit basket. It's not a knife that you would scrounge around looking for. It's always sitting there. I picked it up. You know, I have no ill feelings towards Paul, you know. We weren't fighting. I just, I do recall picking it up. That's about it. I, I blacked out. I had a vision of a black vision of a person. It was like deja vu or a premonition, you know? You see somebody pick up a knife and you are watching that person do it. But I know after the fact that that person was me. You know, I knew, you know, but it was at first, it was like a black vision. It's very vague. It almost appears, and, and I hate to, to say this, but with the evidence, it appears almost calculated. I mean, this is this is stuff you read in the paper. It appears that that you deceived him in a way to make him think 911 was being called. He's making statements that he knows you called 911. He's fighting with me. I know she called 911 because she told me. And I just told him, yeah, because you know what? He's not in a good state. I want him to get better. And I don't need him to be upset. He doesn't know. And I don't mean to get upset. And I asked him, like, no, no, I know. I heard her on the phone. She definitely called 911. And when I asked her if she called 911, she told me, and I said to her, it's taking a long time to get here. And she agreed with me. I, I have no idea what half the time what he was talking about. I wasn't even listening to him. I, yeah, I went to the other room to make a call to his parents. And I made, I picked up the phone to make a call to my parents. I did. I mean, I, he told me he saw you talking on the phone. Sheila made some phone calls, but she had zero intention of contacting anyone that could help Paul. The reason 911 dispatch didn't keep Sheila on the line is that she never called 911. Both times, Sheila Davalu had faked a phone conversation. When investigators checked Sheila's phone to see who she had been in contact with, they found one number multiple times. They start to go through Sheila's phone. And they realized she never called 911. You know, she used her cell phone and there's no 911 that's dialed on her cell phone. But what they do notice is she's getting calls all throughout that same day and really into that evening from one number. And they trace that number to Nelson Sessler, who lives in Stanford, Connecticut. So Allison Carpentier wants to talk to this guy and she can't get a hold of him. So she says, fuck it, I'll drive to Stanford. It's not far go to his apartment. And this is where really a cop, a great detective relies on instinct because she drives there. She knocks on Nelson's door, knocks again, no one's home. And the landlady comes out and the landlady says, you know, what do you want? And she explains, I'm looking for Nelson Sessler to question him about a case up in Westchester County that I think he could be involved in. And the landlady says, no, not, not Westchester County. You mean the murder that took place in Stanford that they've been asking him about. And Allison Carpentier, remember, has no idea that this 
<laughs> murder took place that Nelson Sessler is connected to and says, what murder? And landlord explains to her, yeah, his girlfriend or his fiance was murdered a while back, like six months ago. Aren't you here for that? And Alison Carpentier just hightails it right over to the Stanford PD, walks in and says, I think I got some information for you guys. Sheila Davalu wasn't telling Paul and her therapist about the love triangle at work because she really wanted quality advice that she could relay to her friend Melissa. She was indirectly telling them about her own affair with a co-worker. This is the typical psychopath need for stimulation. So psychopaths, they need stimulation. They need lots and lots of stimulation. And that's how their brain works. Um, you know, there's many different characteristics of the psychopath. And one of the top ones is need for stimulation, along with sexual promiscuity, you know, manipulation, of course, uh, lack of remorse, etc. But Sheila Davalu is getting off on this. And she's getting off on this because she's describing her own life to her husband and she thinks she's pulling one over on him and that's stimulating her. It's amping up the affair she's having. It's giving it more meaning. And this is just common with psychopaths. All of the weekends that Paul picked up his life and moved everything to a hotel room, Sheila was carrying on her affair, not innocently visiting with her mentally ill brother. When Sheila would go on weekend ski trips and other out-of-town excursions, she was stepping out on her husband. This worked out perfectly for Sheila. Paul had no idea what was going on, and her lover had no reason to believe Sheila was married or even in another relationship. Her apartment looked like the living space of your average bachelorette. Paul Christos might seem like, how could he let this happen to him? You know, how could he leave his apartment, his condo, and this other guy was coming over? But you have to know Paul. Paul was, you know, studying for his doctorate in a very intricate part of science medicine. And he was totally immersed in that. And he was having problems with his wife. And he welcomed the opportunity to leave that condo on the weekends. Paul Christos is and was such a genuinely good guy. Because of his good nature, he expected everyone around him believed that everyone around him was equally as honest and good-intentioned. But as we know, the avid true crime aficionados that we are, many people in this world are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are those on this planet who have honed their ability to make themselves seem trustworthy and authentic. They pretend to care, sometimes advertising it to others. As unfortunate as it was for Paul Christos, Sheila Davalu was one of those people. She was someone who planned her life day by day, trying to figure out what she could gain from those around her, while maintaining an honest and meek facade. She had grown tired of what Paul had to offer in their marriage, and began to seek stimulation elsewhere. But that isn't where this story ends. There is so much more. 
The Sheila Davalu stories continue on the next episode of Sword and Scale. But for now, we'll leave you with another poem from Sheila. This one is entitled, Loss. Rainbows fade, leaving unimaginative. Shades of dullness, patchwork of black on black, doom and gloom, destroyers of passionate thoughts. Halting blood flows in veins, paralyzed with futureless thoughts of sorrow and a hopeless tomorrow. Infinite numbness, unable to mask the pain of loss. Please join us on the next episode for the conclusion of this story. The very, very, very fucked up ending. You won't believe where this rabbit hole goes. If you're on the regular feed, the second part to this story is available straight away right now on Plus. Subscribe for only $5 a month and get instant access along with early commercial free releases, a high quality 320 kilobyte feed, over 60 plus episodes, tons of other bonus content, store discounts, and much more. Just go to swordandscale.com slash plus to join. I hope you subscribe to our newest show, Sword and Scale Daily. And until next time, don't tickle your lover with a kitchen knife and stay safe. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.